week one into the Inklands actually had a ton of events. We had 1Ks, we had case events, we had a 2K, all sorts of events going on in week one, which is really exciting for Disney Larkana. Even for me, I played in a 48-player release event. Crazy amounts of Larkana within to the Inklands, but it's time for the nitty-gritty. It's time for the meta report. Let's discuss what the happenings are of week one and what you might be able to plan for for week two. Let's get into the meta report. Welcome to the Inklands. Week one meta report top eight decks. So I know people might be a little upset seeing Ruby Amethyst still sitting in first place with 13 top eights. Amber Steel and Emerald Steel are tied for second with seven. Emerald Amethyst with six. Amethyst Steel with five. Ruby Amber with three. Amber Emerald with two. And one lone Ruby Steel. All right, now I get it, right? Oh my God, it's new cards, it's new meta. Why are we still looking at Ruby Amethyst? I get it, I, I totally get it. But hear me out. Week one, right? Everyone's just getting cards on the same day on Friday. There's not a whole lot of time to prepare. Not everybody plays Pixelborn and tunes on does anything there. So a lot of people probably open product and said, hey, I might only really need three or four cards uh, in some number to modify my Ruby Amethyst decks. And then the same can be said for Amber Steel, actually. It actually might be even less cards that you need for Amber Steel to kind of still play on that same access. So as we'll see in some of the decks that we're going to talk about today, because we have one deck here for each ink in the meta report today, that it just kind of makes sense to softly alter your deck in an unknown metagame, because the thing that was proven to be the best last set likely still has some legs moving forward. And when you're already just talking about playing with the known and letting everyone else figure out what they're doing, it might actually play to a really huge advantage for yourself. So it doesn't shock me in the least bit that the most successful deck from week one is Ruby Amethyst, because it's the most successful deck by a large margin in chapter two metagame. So let's take a look at the best eight decks from the first week of Into the Inklands metagame. Let's go. So Drew Brummer at the Evolutions Trading 1K down in Texas took second place with a Ruby Amethyst deck. This was the most successful deck of the weekend. There were 13 of them in top eight. And if we look at Drew's list here, and before I, like, honestly, before I get too, too involved here, if everyone really remembers in the Ruby Amethyst metagame from chapter two, most Ruby Amethyst decks were about 40 to 45 cards, the exact same. It always modified on the last 15 to 20 cards, with the core of it being nearly 40 cards, which is kind of insane, but in some ways it's very true. So the idea of just taking those last 15 to 20 slots, modifying it slightly with something new, and in this case we have Jim Hawkins, we have... Prince Eric, we have the new locations, which is the Queen's Castle, Agrabah, and RLS Legacy. And we actually did modify our one drops. So we walked away from Olaf and Mini in the favor of Chernobog's followers and the new Rafiki. But there was also the addition of Medusa. I can't let her go unnoticed as well. So there were a pretty fair amount of changes here, but the general core of the deck with goats, rabbits, uh, Foxes, crabs, 
you know, that's all still there. We did remove Snake from the equation, which I find very interesting, but we're also assuming that our followers are going to be drawing us cards, and the new Rafiki is going to be utilized to trade into posing characters more often than not. So we can't really rely on Snake on turn two. Instead, we got rid of it, and we're now we're just playing Cusco. The other core factor here is that Snake isn't as necessary with Goat later in the game because cards like Queen Castle, Agrabah, and RLS Legacy are all gaining you two lore or more on average. So because of that, we don't need to rely on Snake as a combo out win con for the Goat, thanks to, in part, with the RLS Legacy and the option of Jim Hawkins presenting kind of four lore on a given turn, plus a draw a card maybe even on turn five. So while the core concept of Ruby Amethyst stays intact here, we mostly upgrade it for getting more value out of our cards, being able to utilize our characters like Prince Eric with Teeth and Ambitions, Medusa kind of really interacting with a ton of the metagame pretty well, still have our room for Maui and Foxes as rush removal, so all in all, you really are just looking at a modified version of the traditional Ruby Amethyst control list, still supporting three B prepareds. I really don't think anyone should be too upset about week one metagame and Ruby Amethyst being on top. I really think there's a very good chance some of these decks that we're going to be talking about now have the honest ability to overthrow Ruby Amethyst as the most popular and most powerful deck in the format. We'll have to see what happens next week, but... I think I would just calm down. Don't get too upset by this one. Let's see how the rest of the weeks following really start turning the Into the Inklands metagame and the evolution of what locations are going to do to the game in general. Shout out to Drew. Let's talk about the next deck. Shout out to our friend Nick Rauch. He took down a case event with 22 players playing Amber Steel Songs. No, there are no flutes in this deck, but we did add quite a few new cards. We have the new one-cost Pluto that's effectively a lantern. We're playing Robin Hood and the Robin Hood Sheriff of Nottingham. So we're getting both in there for the shiftable additional ways to sing a whole new world and grab your swords when necessary. We also added Kaida, but without the shift Kaida, might I note, which is really just a bait. This could be Zimba and be kind of the same, but instead we're going Kaida to kind of trick our opponent into believing that we could have the shift ability and how that can impact the game itself. Last but not least, the most new card, of course, is the big bodyguard Pluto, which is also a massive body that can really stand tall and just be the ultimate protector to your entire board. Our new songs to the deck actually aren't that many. We're playing four bare necessities, which is absolutely phenomenal and probably going to be one of the most played cards for the amber ink color. And of course, Along Came Zeus, which is the new four-cost song that allows you to exert a character with four, or, with four or more, and then do five damage to a character or a location. Nick's a good friend of mine. I know he's been working on this deck since, honestly, day one, if not before day one of Inkland's release uh, of the final spoilers, I should say. So we've been on around over a week and a half of kind of tuning this list to where he enjoyed it, what he liked about it. Nick wasn't really particularly a fan of flutes, so it's no shock to me that he didn't pick them up, even though he has the 4, 8, 12, 16, 17 songs. Probably a little too low for flutes. In all honesty, we're probably closer to the 20 to 23 mark, so that's definitely not what this deck is doing. This deck is looking to pressure their opponent well. It's looking to wheel well. It's looking to grab your swords well. 
and really just capitalize on all of the assortment of removal that Amber Steel is offering. Definitely a deck that I would be looking out for moving forward. Versions of Amber Steel are likely going to be some of the more played decks because of the versatility that the deck has to offer. Evolution is trading down in Texas, hosted a 1K this weekend, and Lorcana Bro took down the event with Emerald Steel. So Emerald Steel was a deck that, towards the second half of the Chapter 2 metagame, was really starting to find its form and starting to find success in multiples in top 8s and top 16s in the bigger events within Disney Lorcana metagame. What this deck has honestly been able to do is really double down on some of the things that it did very well and really punish people that can't figure out a way to answer what you're trying to do. Having two very different lines and different ways of interacting on turn three is pretty massive. Ursula Deceiver for All is a card that really reads, if you do not banish me and I get to untap and then sing a song, the game very well might be over. But the other addition here is Morph. Morph with the ability to be to represent different lines of shifting for the Beast, for Robin Hood, for Jafar. All of those cards really do work well, along with the addition of Tinkerbell and Hercules. So even if you don't shift on turn three, having the ability to shift Hercules or Tinkerbell on four can still play into a massive turn of, turn of events within a game. This deck has eight brand new cards, which is a really, it's nearly half the deck, I believe. Four Ursula Deceiver all, four Ursula Deceivers, three more, four Strike a Good Match, four Robin Hood, two Kit Cloud Kickers, the three cost 2-2 two -two that bounces an opposing character with two or less willpower, and then four Robin Hood, Sheriff of Nottingham, and at last, four, and then along came Zeus. This deck really is kind of embracing what Inklands has to offer, put, importing it into a deck that was already pretty known and already really good at what it was doing, what it was targeting, but now gaining even more cards interaction with the addition of Morph to really give you a more versatile gameplay. Shout out to Aaron for taking down the 1K this weekend with Emerald Steel and really cementing its position within the new metagame. Emerald Amethyst Tempo definitely came out swinging. Winning a 101-player event by Artibax is an incredibly great thing for Emerald fans alike. This is a deck that has always been in and out of the metagame over the last couple chapters, and finally, we see a cemented win in a big way in an opening weekend by a brand new type of deck. This, this deck in itself has a plethora of new interactions and really punishing people in gameplay all around. Nine new one-drops, Chernobog's Followers, Cursed Merfolk, Rafiki, adding a plethora of new ways to tempo the game when necessary, on your play or your draw. Ursula Deceiver and Ursula Deceiver of all disrupting as greatly as they possibly can. Ursula coming in, removing songs, and then Ursula Deceiver of all being having the ability to mothers knows best two different characters back to their hand or friends on the other side, drawing multiple cards, really enforcing those type of play lines. Kit Cloud Kicker as another potential way to 
bounce opposing characters back to their opponent's hand, and then the Queen's Castle being implemented into this Tempo Emerald Amethyst list. So much board presence, so many ways to control the game, really keep your opponent off the board. Mother's knows best. The Genie, Kit Cloud Kicker are just a few ways to control the board. The Fox is still doing everything he can. Rafiki adds another layer. Yizma is a potential layer. Having cards like the Queen's Castle passively gain you lore with so much willpower and so many ways to interact with the board through all these bounce removals is a really great way to finish out games. Understanding that Merlin Crab might be one of the most powerful cards in Into the Inklands just due to the willpower of certain locations. Every single one of your cards here has the ability to trade up and trade into locations so fairly. Tinkerbell and Genie are evasive threats to close out the game as well. This deck truly is an evolution of what Into the Inklands has to offer, and I'm very excited to see what this deck does moving forward. So far, so good. Four brand new decks to be discussing with Into the Inklands and all the modifications that Inklands really gave them. If you're enjoying this video so far, make sure you hit like. If you like this content, I do this every single week. I tell you as much as I possibly can from all the information that I can possibly gather. Uh, definitely hit subscribe if this is what you're into. And of course, if you haven't yet, comment below. Let me know what deck you're starting with in Into the Inklands. Very excited to see how people are approaching the metagame. I think it's really a good chance to finally modify from what we're so used to in Ruby Amethyst and Amber Steel. I do think there's a good chance that a lot of these decks that we're talking about, a lot of these decks that are coming up on there, will really have a chance to succeed in the new metagame. Let's talk about the last four decks. A whole new Jafar. This was top eight at the 101 player event at the Die Tintalande constructed event. Uh, Jafar was definitely a card that as soon as he was announced was a threat to everyone. Uh, introducing this way to come into play, sing a whole new world, gain seven or more lore in a given turn, having honestly very playable, shiftable characters is huge. Both Javar 2 cost with Evasive and Javar Dreadnought, a Floodborne character himself, are both very, very playable characters within the metagame themselves. Uh, adding on to Robin Hood and the Sheriff of Nottingham and his power level, playing Tiny Technicians to be able to shift in Tinkerbell as well as just another way for Grab Your Swords. This deck really, in all honesty, is very close to what the Amethyst Steel control decks look like of the past, utilizing Blue Fairy and all the Floodborns. We actually gained even more playable Floodborns with Jafar and with Robin Hood Sheriff from Nottingham. So when you look at this list, you can see here there's four Jafar Dreadnought, four Beast Tragic Hero, four Robin Hood Sheriff from Nottingham, four Tinkerbell, Great Fairy, three Yizmas, Scary Beyond Reason, and for Jafar Striking Illusionist. So it's a lot of cards, and it's a lot of inkable cards, might I add, that when they come into play, they now read additionally draw a card thanks to Blue Fairy, which really gives you a ton of draw potential in this game to outvalue and outcard advantage your opponent. I think this deck is one of the decks that was most hyped and most talked about uh, right away. Very similar to what Popsicle was early on in the Rise of the Floodborne metagame. 
this deck has that same level of potential along with the emerald steel combo deck that i made a whole video about that by the way uh there were seven emerald steel decks but the one that won was not a combo deck just a note keep little things a little important this is kind of on that same level though of hey this is a deck that people know about this is a deck that people are prepared for so it'll be really interesting to see if this deck can maintain success or even get better moving forward but a top eight of a 101 player event is a hell of a good start for sure and then not to mention we had five other of these or four other of these i should say for five total in top eights this weekend so not a bad start at all for the amethyst steel jafar wheel decks ruby amber is back to form with three top eights in the opening weekend but here's the craziest thing about this particular deck there are zero mufasas that's right ruby amber of the past was all about mufasa and really getting the value out of what he can do for you this deck simply is not the same. It's playing on a very different landscape. It's utilizing the new legendary Perdita. Perdita is a wonderful character that she's a 6-cost, uninkable, 1-strength, 6-willpower, 2-lore, and the ability of when she enters play or when she quests, you may return a 2-cost or less character from your discard back into play. So that means the moment you play this character, she actually has the ability to go back and find a Zimba, a Piglet, a Mother Gothel, a LeFou, a Stitch, a, a Pluto, or a Snow White, or another Stitch. So this deck is really leveling up on the amount of cards that you can get, having the option of having one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different targets for Perdita and her ability, which is wonderful. We're also double downing on the Lucky ability here. Lucky's ability is good as new, which is exert this, reveal the top three cards of your deck. You may put each character with cost two or less into your hand, put the rest of them in your bottom of your deck in any order. He also has the ability of Puppy Love. When this character quests, if you have four or more other characters in play, your other characters gain plus one lore this turn. Lucky is a four cost, uninkable, two strand, three willpower, one lore character. So this is the basically a filtering character, enabling you to find multiple cards potentially if you exert him with having so many two or less car cost cards in your deck. So Lucky really can uh, go the distance of helping you refill your hand, helping you make Stitch Rockstar even better and more insane having the addition of bare necessities as a backup way to prevent you from being be prepared or grab your swords is another great way for this deck to be successful i think the bare necessities is going to play a huge role in a lot of these amber aggro decks and that's exactly what is going on here the final addition of course is the gigantic bodyguard pluto again and we get all the enjoyment of rapunzel and maui of course the final card on this list i would love to talk about is the summerian the summerian talisman i know i said that wrong feel free to butcher me in the comments i'm sorry i definitely am not familiar with this particular item uh i'm not even sure where it's from so if you know where it's from let me know in the comments it's a three cost inkable item with source of magic during your turn whenever one of your characters is banished in a challenge you may draw a card it's just adding additional draw power to the deck. Stitch himself has Rush as a 3-1, so it's a way to kind of come in, do what you're doing, let him go, 
draw a card, if you need to kind of utilize a Mother Gothel in a way, or honestly, any of your characters that just trade in for damage to take out something and then draw additional cards is definitely interesting. I am very curious. Um, this was played by Anonymous, so I'm not exactly sure the player that hit did play it, but I do wonder if they did enjoy this card or not. I know that we tested a little bit of it earlier and we weren't too much of a fan of it. So I'm curious if you're playing that card, let's definitely let me know in the comments how you feel about it. Mufasa does make a return here in the Emerald Amber version, of course. Uh, this deck really kind of coming out strong. Zero songs, zero items, zero locations, zero actions. We are all in on the Mufasa trigger we also have two Chernobogs. It's the first time we're seeing this character, which is the 10 cost, uninkable, 9 strength, 9 willpower, 3 lore, uh, which is a massive, massive body with the ability. The power of evil for each character card in your discard, you pay one less to play this card. And summon the spirits when you play this character, shuffle all your character cards from your discard back into your deck. So Chernobog really offering just a massive body, very difficult for Steel to interact with, uh, potential very difficult for Ruby Amethyst to interact with. If They might have to resort to going back to a card like Dragonfire. If we really take a look at the grand scheme of this deck, having the curve that it does, having the characters that it does, it's very much a Rockstar Stitch deck, a Mufasa deck, with the new addition of Kaida. Kaida, the Protector of Atlantis, is a 5-cost inkable, 3-strength, 5-willpower, 2-lore with shift 3, and perhaps we can save the future. When the, you play this character, all characters get minus 3-strength until the start of your next turn. So yes, it takes strength away of all your cards, but it also takes the strength away of all of your characters' card, of all your opponent's characters' cards. And because of that, Kaida ends up being a of way to protect all of your characters you know like your piglet like your pongo like your doc like all of these characters really get protected by this kind of trigger that it makes it really difficult for your opponent to trade into you well uh which can definitely be cause a problem for many players if they don't can't get over that barrier and you're able to just swing out gain a bunch of lore and your opponent might not just be able to interact with the board afterwards, so it's almost like you get a free turn to just lure out as well as possible. I do wonder if this player ended up missing out on the four bare necessities. This deck very much looks like a deck that would love the freedom to have bare necessities, to take away the grab your swords and take away the be prepares from your opponents. So I think sacrificing a couple cards to play bare necessities would potentially up the overall success rate of this deck moving forward. We'll have to see if other players adapt to that. All in all, huge shout out to this player. 101 player event again, top eight. Really, really great success and start for the Green Fossa deck. Is the Pirates life for you? Because it is for me. The sixth place finisher at the Evolutions Trading 1K event in Texas. Uh, Pablo, Monzo, picks up a sweet top eight victory with a brand new archetype to the game as someone that covers the metagame as someone that does these videos every single week i can tell you that there was zero ruby steel decks ever in a top eight in the entirety of set 
to metagame. So getting one in in the first week is awesome. It's remarkable. It's a great show that this deck could potentially be one of the decks on the rise. It's definitely a deck that is so brand new with so many new cards that you will constantly see this deck going in and out with changes and how it modifies and how it really starts to tackle the metagame. As an example here, this list in particular has five different locations, but does not play Jim Hawkins. I do wonder if we just didn't have Jim Hawkins yet, if we didn't pick them up. As you can see, there's no new legendaries here. Uh, it's just two of the RLS Legacy, which is a rare. Four of the Maui's Place of Exile, which is also a rare. But we have the Uncommon Jolly Rogers, the Common Agrabah, and the Uncommon Bayou. Picking up all of those things. Um, if we really take a, a look across this list, John Silver is the absolute staple of it. John Silver's ability of chart your own course reads, For each location you have in play, this character gains resist one and plus one lore. So then you're starting to understand why there are so many locations in this deck. Uh, the ability to really just churn them out, pressure the board in a way to gain passive lore, and just pump up your John Silver to this remarkably empowering character that is very, very frightening. There are not a lot of things that can deal with Resist 3 very well at all. Uh, this guy absolutely tanks so many different characters in the game. And it really is, like, its biggest weakness is, without a doubt, a dragon fire. Um, this character has so much potential moving forward that it's insane. Mr. Smee is another wonderful addition to this deck. A two-cost, inkable, three-strength, three-willpower, and two-lore. Yes, his ability is a little problematic because it takes conditional damage uh which is oh dear oh dear oh dear 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 uh at the end of your turn if this character is exerted and you don't have a captain in play you deal one damage to it yeah that's a bit of a problem but in all honesty it's a it's well worth it to take that cost this deck does play a ton of captains though we have we have captain hook thinking happy thoughts captain hook forceful duelist and we have the Captain Hook Master Swordsman, which are all captains. Uh, of course, John Silver is also a captain. So plenty of ways to get around the whole do a damage to myself. Definitely not a problem there. The other addition here I think is very, very interesting is the Rise of the Titans. Now, this card is definitely different. It's not something you had seen too many of in other decks so far. But for those of you that do not recognize the card, Rise of the Titans is an action that just reads banish chosen location or item. So in a deck that he doesn't want to lose tempo and having to exert his characters into removing locations, we're just going to play three ink and we're going to banish a location, which is problematic. Get rid of that RLS legacy, get rid of that pride lands, get rid of that uh, queen's castle. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to waste seven challenging power on that. I'd rather just lure uh, I think that's a really good thing to see in the metagame. I think it's a card that, as an inkable card, may become a staple if locations prove to be that problematic to remove moving forward. The other addition here is, of course, that it is a whole new world deck. I think that this combination is very reliant on cards like a whole new world and, of course, the Queen of Hearts, Sensing Weakness. Another, car another card uh, for those at home that can't remember what that is, it's a Shift 2 which we do are playing the two-cost Queen of Hearts as well, but it also has the ability of let 
the game rain. Whenever one of your characters challenges another character, you may draw a card. So this is just a couple ways to continuously draw cards in the game and really never try your best to not run out of the tempo or the card advantage that you're gaining through other means and board presence. So there we have it, the eight decks that were successful this weekend. Just a, a little bit of margin of all of them, but a really great weekend for Disney Larkana as a whole. Again, don't be too upset with the way this looks right now. I know it's a bit scary. I know we've been seeing Ruby Amethyst on top for so very long, and we're worried. I get it. I think in a couple weeks, you're going to start to see the meta develop more and more, and we're going to hopefully, whew, hopefully get away from this look where Ruby Amethyst is towering over Amber Steel. Uh, I really do hope that we're going to move past this. But I do have like one really, really important question. Where is Sapphire? I mean, guys, like, where is that ink? Zero Sapphire decks in any top eight. So many new cool cards for Sapphire. One of the most played decks of the last format with Sapphire Steel. Zero Sapphire decks in any event this weekend. Do you think that Sapphire is bad? Do you think it's unplayable? Do you think it's just week one jitters? Let me know in the comments how you feel about your Sapphire decks. You know, are you like bringing a Sapphire deck? Let me know what's going on. I'm very curious in how everyone feels about Sapphire in the Into the Inklands metagame. I know it's only week one. I'm not trying to go crazy, but it is shocking to see that one of the most played decks uh, didn't even come across anyone's table this weekend potentially so i don't know we'll have to see how it goes all in all i think it's a good start to the metagame i don't think anyone should be too worried about the early stats here as a player as a competitive player if i had a constructed event this weekend there's probably like a 90 to 95 percent chance that i would have played ruby amethyst or amber steel because those decks were the two most popular decks that really didn't change their game style very much and you didn't even really need that many new things to play them so because of that i think it's okay i don't think we should be too worried about i'm i'm pretty confident that most players probably adapt to that do i think both of those decks are good and will be you know a force to be reckoned with in the inclans metagame absolutely i think they're both very good decks i just don't think that they're both so good that other decks can't kind of reign supreme and be powerful along with them so we'll see how the next couple weeks go again if you like this type of content you want to see this versatile of information from different events definitely hit subscribe if you haven't yet well i don't know why but hit that like button for me it really does help go a long way let me know in the comments what you're playing with and definitely subscribe because this week we have even more into the inklands coming up if you haven't yet you should follow me on twitch i'm going to be going live more and more on twitch moving forward uh so it's twitch.tv slash the forbidden mountain i'll put it in the link below but thank you guys so much we had a wonderful release weekend. The store is open. It's about to be restocked again with even more cards. So definitely check in the description below for the store. I'll put a QR code. It's probably already been there. Thank you guys so, so much. Looking forward to breaking down the meta each and every week with you. Let's go.